in your Bibles this morning or to find in your bulletins a scripture passage that we'll consider and meditate upon this morning in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 through 11. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 through 11. We hear the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say these words. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So far the reading of God's word, let us pause and pray and ask for his blessing. Father, just in one way as the Apostle Paul himself could not have pinned these words um, in their purity and perfection without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so now we, we truly can have no hope that these words uh, that we will consider will come from your servant and that we will listen to will have any effect if it is not accompanied by the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, accompany now your word Apply it and impress it upon our hearts. Write it therein. Renew us. Strengthen us. And give us full assurance of our faith in Christ. This we ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, loved ones, the Christian life, it is a marathon. It's a common analogy that we often use, but it's important to meditate again upon it this morning. A marathon. It's not a sprint, right? Our goal is to slowly, little by little, make progress towards the finish line, which is glory in Christ. And like in a marathon, what is important is not so much the speed at which we are running, but rather to have a steady pace. What's not important are the bursts of energy that you might have in the Christian faith, but rather patient perseverance in it. Personally, for myself, I don't like to go running very much, and so I'd rather have a short sprint. But we have to realize that the Christian life, in the Christian life, there's no option for a short sprint. We are all called to press on in the long obedience of faith in the same direction. This is the road set before us, one step at a time. But how do we press on? How do we press on, especially when life presses down upon us with its challenges and it feels like heavy weights 
are upon our backs. And maybe that's you this morning. As you look ahead in the road, in the path set before us, it seems to be covered with a layer of fog. And you can't see through it. You might be asking yourself a variety of different questions. Will my faith in Jesus endure to the end? Will I ever shake this sinful habit that gnaws on my soul week after week? Will our marriage survive this trial that we find ourselves in? Or perhaps your worry is a bit broader than yourself and your individual trials. Maybe you might be asking, what is the next chapter of the life of our church here at Ontario URC? And it's a bit uncertain to you. Or what does the future hold for my children, especially in this present cultural moment? You see, we're all prone to focus on these life circumstances, to focus on the weight of anxiety. But we see here that the Apostle Paul, he wants us to shift our focus away from those life circumstances that often bog us down to focus instead on God's promises for the future, to be assured in what God has declared and promised over us. And this is what one author, uh, Eugene Peterson, in his book, Long Obedience, in the same direction, he says it this way, Christian discipleship, it is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness and less and less attention to our own. Finding the meaning of our lives, not by probing our moods and motives and morals, but by believing in God's will and purposes, making a map of the faithfulness of God, not charting the rise and fall of our enthusiasms. It is out of such a reality that we acquire perseverance. You see, that is the reality that the Apostle Paul is mapping out for us so beautifully here in this passage. In the marathon of faith, we press on not by probing our problems and examining all of our problems and challenges and being caught up with the anxiety of them, but instead by paying more attention to God's promises. As the author of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, and his promises over us. And Philippians 1.6 here, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that this is one of the most comforting Uh, and assuring and encouraging promises in all of the Bible, where Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to pay attention to that promise by asking a series of questions here. Uh, Just like if you want to get to know somebody very well, you have to ask good, good questions and you have to have a listening ear. You can't be the one talking all the time in order to get to know another person. And so also we need to come to God's word and ask good questions as we study it and listen for the answers uh, that we find in the text. And that's what we'll do. But the first question is this. How was Paul so sure? How was he so confident of this? What was the basis of his confidence? And in the case of the Christians that were at the city in Philippi, Throughout the passage, Paul points time and time again to their partnership in the gospel of grace. He speaks of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
we see here in this text, it's so evident that Paul felt this deep sense of camaraderie with the Philippians. They had stood by his side time and time again from the very beginning through thick and thin. They often say that soldiers, when they come back from war, especially a very traumatic war, after coming back to normal civilian life, after going through warfare, that they have a deep bond with one another that is really hard to find with others because they've gone through the trenches together. They've seen and experienced things that normal people in, in, in life, through common life, just haven't seen. And so they have this great sense of camaraderie because in the war they had each other's back. They entrusted their very lives to the watch and care of each other. And it's interesting to note that the city uh, where the Philippians were, it, was a, it had a large population of retired Roman soldiers. And so they probably had this great sense of camaraderie with each other and there are probably Christians who were previously Roman soldiers and so they they had a sense of what it meant to be united in partnership and have that bond with one another and so we see that Paul had this great sense of camaraderie with them and loved ones going forward in the faith we have to remember that we're in this together yes it might be a marathon but we're not competing against each other right We have to have each other's backs. We're competing as a team, so to speak. And the great Apostle Paul himself, here in this passage, he shows us that he leaned upon the Philippians. He depended upon them and their support and their aid and their words of encouragement. And so, too, we must realize that the Christian faith is not one that is meant to be lonely, but instead it is meant to be done together in community, run together as a family We need to depend and support on one another and learn to trust one another as well. Now Paul in verse 7, he talks about how this partnership forged a deep bond in his heart. Profound emotions we see here, Paul talking about. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. This is really fascinating as I was studying the text that Paul's confidence is not only based on their actions, their deeds, what they did for him in partnership, maybe going out and evangelizing with him, uh, going out and serving the poor, going out and assisting him or sending him money in partnership uh, financially. Not only that, but it was in part, his confidence in part is based on the fraternal bond that he felt for them in his heart. And so let me ask you this question. Have you felt this way in your in your Christian life? Have you felt this way with other brothers and sisters in Christ? I have many, many times, and with you as well. For example, uh, this happens uh, when you meet strangers who you find out are Christians. I was once uh, going to a conference for pastors, and I had to uh, get an Uber driver to take me, and on the way, as I'm talking with the driver, uh, we come to find out that we're both Christians. And immediately, it's like a spark sets off and we realize we have this fraternal bond that we're united in Christ and we're able to talk fluidly about the things of God and the kingdom of God and what it means to follow Jesus. And so this person who was five minutes ago a complete stranger to me, didn't know him from Adam, right, as the phrase goes, is now a close brother to me. And this this bond that we have, it's only strengthened more and more 
The more time we spend with other Christians in real fellowship, in real communion, when we talk about Christ and get to know each other, the more we walk through life's trials and difficulties together, the more we go through the trenches of life together, then the more we will be in that way linked in our hearts with one another. And this was the case as well for the Apostle Paul with the church, because this church the Philippians, they had a deep significance in his own heart because it was the first church that he founded uh, in Europe. And so Paul, he also visited them a few times after his initial uh, departure. And throughout his ministry, they faithfully supported him. So this was, in a, in a way, his firstborn son, uh, his firstborn child, this church. And so he had a deep love and bond for them. And in verse 8, he describes this deep love for them in an extravagant way, saying, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And we might think of the Apostle Paul as very doctrinal, very intellectual, and maybe we might jump to the false conclusion that he was dry, that he, he didn't have any emotions. No, that's not the case at all. Of course, he was doctrinal and intellectual, right? We see that throughout his writings, but he is not dry at all. This passage, it's filled with emotions and holy affections of love and longing. And it reminds me of Jonathan Edwards, who wrote about the religious affections that the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts, where he says that the essence of all true religion lies in holy love. He who has no religious affection is in a state of spiritual death and is wholly destitute of the powerful, quickening, saving influences of the Spirit of God upon his heart. The Apostle Paul, he had evidenced in the life of the church there, in the life of the Christians in, in Philippi, this holy affection, this holy love. He had seen it, produced the fruit of their partnership with him in the ministry, and he had it for them as well, this bond that he had with them. And so that is why he is confident of this promise in their case that he will begin, or he who began the work will finish it. Now, what is this good work that was begun in them? That's our next question that we're asking in the text. What is the good work? Well, Paul refers to it in verse 7, when he says that they are all partakers with me of grace. That same phrase can be translated sharers of the same grace as myself. What is God's grace? What is grace? It is God's loving favor his unmerited favor towards us in Christ. And Paul is saying that they too are recipients of that same grace of God, his sovereign love that he had poured out into their hearts. John Owen describes this initial good work begun in each and every Christian as the effectual communication, the giving of a new principle of spiritual life in the heart of believers. It's a conviction of sin right? That first moment when you heard the gospel and you felt remorse and conviction for your sin, you're, you were cut to the heart. And also the birth of new holy desires, longing to know Jesus more and more, longing to grow more and more in godliness. This is the good work that has been wrought in us. And it is good because it turns us from what is evil towards what is good. And it literally works good into our hearts. That is why it is good. It gives life to those who were dead in sin. It removes the heart of stone that could feel nothing. 
towards God and has put in its place a heart of flesh that is sensitive to, to the love and care of God. It writes God's law upon our hearts that we might walk more and more in his ways. And it works on our rebellious will, which refused to submit to God, now more and more making us willing and obedient to follow him. And so John Owen also described this as a prevailing love, a prevailing love implanted upon the affections, causing the soul with the delight to cleave to God in all his ways. A prevailing love that prevails all over all of our evil ways that we once walked in. It prevails and turns us more and more towards what is good and produces that good in us. At the same time, I want to pause and say that this work is good. It is good, as we've described it, but it's not always pleasant. It is not always pleasant. It's often very hard and difficult because it is a work of spiritual death and resurrection. What do I mean? Well, the Holy Spirit from the very beginning and throughout the Christian life is causing our old man, our old self to be put to death and in its place causing newness of life to rise. And that is not pleasant often when our old parts of our sinful nature die, when idols have to be cut off and we have to die to ourselves. It is painful to be refined and purified by fire. And yet, we have to remember, as Paul is saying here, it is a good work because it is turning us towards what is good and producing the good in our hearts. And so this is the good work begun in us. Our third question is this. Who began this work? Who began this work? Well, not you. You did not begin this work. Rather, God did. As Paul says here in the text, he who began a good work in you. He is the Lord your God particularly the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Uh, John Owen, again, he says, the work of conversion itself, and in his special, the act of believing or faith itself, is expressly said to be of God, to be wrought in us by him, to be given unto us from him. The scripture says not that God gives us ability or power to believe only, namely such as a power as we may make use of it, if we will or do otherwise, but he gives us faith. He gives us repentance. He gives us conversion themselves, and they are said to be the work and effect of God. And this is great news, exceedingly good news, because since it did not depend on you in the beginning to produce this work, it cannot depend on you to finish this work. Since you did not make it happen in the beginning, you cannot undo it at any part of the process throughout your faith. And throughout your walk. So once you are in a state of grace, once you are united to Christ by faith, as a work of the Holy Spirit uniting you to him, you can never fall from that state of grace. You can never lose your justification. Once you have been declared righteous in Christ by faith, you are forever righteous, forever accepted and loved by God the Father, and he will continue that work he began in you. He began it in you, and he will finish it. The next question, how does he work? Or sorry, where does he work? Where, rather, where? Where does he work? Well, obviously he works in the hearts of individuals, as we've been talking about, but also in the church as community. Often when we come to this text, even the first time I came to it, again, in my studies this week, yes, our first inclination, our first thought is in individual hearts is where the Spirit is working and beginning this work. 
And we come to that conclusion because we live in a very individualistic society and culture. But we also need to realize that Paul, he's, he's writing to a community. He's writing to a church. And so we need to see that the Holy Spirit, he does this work in community, in the church body itself. Which is why Edmund Clowney, he writes, The life of holiness is the life of faith. It is not a lonely or cheerless struggle. For Christ gives the Spirit to the members of his body to help one another. Growth in true holiness is always growth together. It takes place through the nurture, the work, and worship of the church. Sadly, many Christians see fellow believers as obstacles rather than aids to spiritual growth. And that's key. We, we need to see that the Holy Spirit, he's at work in the community of the church, that holy society that he has set apart from the world, consecrated to himself. He is doing work not only in individual hearts, but in and through us as a community. And we need to see each other not as obstacles to our faith and growth, but rather as aids that the Holy Spirit has brought into our life to further refine us and purify us in our walk with him. So we see again, as we looked at earlier, that it's so important that we press on together the partnership that we have in the gospel, that we are partakers of the same grace in Christ, that we live as we live in community. One of the effects, one of the applications we see here when we're living together in community, talking about Christ together, talking about our trials and burdens with one another, praying for one another. One thing that we see is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that he is producing in the lives of others around us. And that is a great encouragement. It enlivens us to see that the Holy Spirit is making progress in those around us, even as he is making progress little by little in our own hearts. And it is often messy work, as we talked about earlier. It's not always pleasant, but he is making that process. He's refining us and purifying us. And so we must press on together because he works not only in individual hearts, but in the church, in the community. The next question when does he do this work? When? Not just in the beginning. Not just in the beginning, but continually and unceasingly until the day of its completion. You know, we, we don't have the God, the false God of deists, who think of the Creator God as a great watchmaker who makes a watch, winds it up, and lets it go to run off by itself. That's not how God created the world, and that's not how he saves his elect his own. Rather, God is continually active in our lives, ever sanctifying us, ever growing us in his grace, ever refining and purifying us by his word and promises. And so we, we trust that he continues that work and he will never give up on us. And that's especially important in those dark times when we're down and depressed and we don't know how we're going to press on. It's just fog before us and we can't even see perhaps the next step ahead of us. And it reminds me of the movie that I just watched again with my boys. A great movie, in my opinion, Batman Begins. Um, where Batman, Bruce Wayne, in his depression and his sorrow, as he's in his struggles, he speaks to his butler who kind of steps in as a father figure for him. And he says, Alfred... You still haven't given up on me, have you? And Alfred, in a great British accent, he says, never, never, never. And he says it twice in different key moments in, in the movie, in Bruce Wayne's life. 
with, full, with eyes full of affection, never, never give up on you. And you might be tempt tempted to think that God has given up on you at different times in your life. You might be tempted to think that when things are especially difficult. But here in this passage, God is saying, never, never, I will never give up on you. I will never give up on you. And elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Loved ones, he will finish the work that he has begun in you. He will finish it. In the finish line, it is our perfection in Christ, the consummation of the work that he began in us. What will that state look like? What will our glorification look like? Well, we can learn from other passages that we will be raised and transformed into the very likeness of Christ's resurrected body to share in his same glory, inhabiting the new creation with resurrected bodies, body and soul. But also here from this passage, it means the fulfillment of what Paul was praying for, for the Philippians. And we see that in the, the final verses where Paul is praying for specific things so that at the end in the consummation when we arrive in perfection, our love will be abounding all the more, fullness of love in our hearts. Our knowledge will be full and perfect. Our discernment of all things will be clear. Our hearts will be fully aligned with all that is excellent and our bodies and souls will be completely pure and blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. No sin clinging to us any longer. And like firmly planted trees, fruit trees, we will bear the fruits of righteousness forevermore in the new creation. And as the ladies are studying, in a place that is better than Eden. C.S. Lewis, he describes the glory that awaits us in a, in, in, describing how unimaginable it is, the glory that we will arrive to, by saying that we do well to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to today may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, would be, you would be so strongly tempted, tempted to worship. You see that. We will be exalted and share in the glory of Christ so much so that if you were to see yourself in that future glory, you'd be tempted to bow down in reverence the light and the glory and the brilliance of what you will become. And that is what God has promised, not only for you, but for all who belong to him, us as a community of faith in him. And this is the sure hope that is before us, which again, it's not based on your obedience or stamina because you didn't begin the work and it's not dependent upon you to finish it. It's dependent upon God's sure promises that he will finish what he started and the last question last question why does he do this work why is he so keen on finishing what he has started and we see that in the very last portion of the last verse where he says to the glory and praise of God this is the ultimate and final goal the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever and God is transforming us as individuals and as a community, bringing us from death to life in order to show and display the greatness of his loving kindness and his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. faithfulness. He's displaying it. He's putting us on display and saying, look at my grace and what it has done in the life of this sinner, transforming and purifying them from one degree of glory to another. That is the reason why he will finish what he started. Because 
He has attached his own glory, his own name, his own reputation to you by covenant, by his promises. He cannot fail you because he cannot deny himself. He cannot not fulfill his promises. And that's why at the end of his own personal race of faith, the Apostle Paul, in his very last letter, in 2 Timothy, Apostle Paul, he writes as he's come to the finish line and about to cross over into glory, to be executed, he writes this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We see at the very end of his life as a Christian, the Apostle Paul was still affirming the same thing that he affirms here. That despite our, our lack of faith, despite our failures, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He will bring us to the end. He will take us across that finish line into glory. He will finish what he started. And so do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. For God has promised and surely he will do it. Amen. Let's pray.